All right, how's everybody doing today? Good, good. I'm glad you're here. My name is Michael Page. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here at Connection Church, Fuller Garden City, Savannah, Rinkin, everywhere else in the world that you want to name. Um, I, I love that you're here this morning. If it's your first time here, um, like Abby said, um, it's crucial if you're looking to get involved in a place for you to visit our Next Steps table because there's so much there that you can get involved in. Because if you're here this morning, what that tells me is that you're seeking God. I mean, that's a safe assessment if you're in church this morning, right? So you're seeking the Lord in some, some capacity. And so our, what we do here at our Connection Church is we have um, things called connect groups. She touched on these, but um, the Lord is moving in those groups in such a mighty way. We're having a hard time keeping them small because they're blowing up. And so, which is, it's a great thing. And what I love about them is that you get to, you get to do life with people in a very intimate way where you're growing together. You're doing the Proverbs 27 where it talks about iron sharpening iron together. You're, you're going together with those people to be able to do life together. And so if that's, if that's you, go sign up, man. Don't let, don't let the enemy hold you back from that. Because I can promise you, if there's anybody in this room who's a part of a connect group, they can attest to that being a very vital part of your spiritual walk. And so if you're in a connect group this morning, can you raise your hand? Look at that. Turn around, everybody look. God's moving, man. God's moving in this place. It's cool to watch. And so um, if, if that's you, go sign up. Um, if you're involved, if you want to get more involved in our church as far as getting to know what it's about, what we believe, who we are as a church, that, that's there too. So, um, But every week I, I, I get so excited seeing us come together for worship because this is what it's about is the family of God, the church coming together and celebrating what God's done. And what religion has taught us is church, this is where you come to experience God. That's a lie, right? Listen, it is, but you experience God in the, in the week as the Spirit of God works through you and in you to do the things He's called you to do in your life. And you come here and you celebrate what God's doing, what He has done as a family of God. And it's, and it's cool to be able to do that together each week. And this morning as we get started, I'm not sure who's here, um, who's, who, what, you're, what I love about the church is that there's people from all different walks of life. There's people here this morning who are, who are doing great. There's people here this morning that, that may be struggling. There's people here this morning that, that, that know every scripture in the Bible. There's people here that has never opened the Bible. There's people all in all walks of life in this place. And what I love about it is we come together and God is moving in our midst. It's moving in, in our hearts and it's trying to change our hearts to be more like His. And what I want you to hear this morning, if nothing else, whether you need to hear this or not, is that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And He wants to use the gifts that He's put inside of you. So my question is, why are you here this morning? What is the point of you coming, getting up, getting dressed, coming to church, sitting in these seats? Why are you here? So get real with yourself for a minute and just ask, like, what am I doing here? What, what, God, what am I doing? Am, am I here for just to check the box? Or am I here to experience you in a, in a real way and to see my life moved into the direction that you've called me to move? And right now, we're in the middle of, as you can see, a, a seven-week series um, called Disciple. Uh, and we're on the seventh week. It may go longer. I don't know. We'll see what God does. But... Um, you know, a disciple, what, we, what we've kind of defined that as as we look in Scripture, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Can we agree with that? A disciple is someone who is being transformed by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the disciple is someone who joins Jesus on his mission. Can we agree with those three things? Someone who follows Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and someone who's joined Jesus on his mission. And what we believe about that is we believe this plays itself out in a very specific way in a disciple's life. It makes that person a servant. It makes that person a worshiper. 
and it makes that person a missionary. But before we get going this morning on this, I really, I, I, I share with our prayer team this morning, is I want to share what's been on my heart for the past few days, and I've been praying and going through scripture, and my heart's really been burdened to share something with our body. And I, the only reason I share this is because I, I want us to be the exception to what I'm about to share. Um, what I've noticed in the popular church culture is a lot of people like to, uh, to associate with Jesus, but very few people like to follow and actually follow Jesus like I read about in Scripture. Can we agree with that? And so, you know, we kind of change the rules and kind of move the goalpost a little bit when, it, when we come to how we follow Jesus. And what we do is we make it justifiable and in our own minds, and not many people speak up about it. But as believers, as, as children of God, people who are full of the Holy Spirit, people who are, who are following God as, as we read about in Scripture, we're meant to stand up whenever false teaching, false prophets, false things comes up. And whenever we're following a false doctrine, we need to make sure we stand up to it and, and correct it. And so very few people, what I've learned, look to Scripture to guide them. They don't look at this as a guidebook. Somewhere I read it and I say, okay, I need to change this about my life because I'm not, I'm not living like this. I, we don't let it convict us anymore as we see in Scripture. And what we do is we more so, we rely on our moral compass. Like, this doesn't feel right. I might not do it. This feels right, you know. And, we, and what we do is we allow that to guide us. Or worse than that, we take some pastor's word for things instead of getting in the word and knowing it for ourselves. Guys, my heart for this church is that you would be in awe and wonder of what the pages of this, this book has for you. And that it would come alive that it would come alive in your life and that it would change your life in a way that you can't imagine, that you would cherish it. Like you look in the pages of Scripture, you see the disciples, you see the apostles, the, you see Paul and Peter, you see Barnabas, all these guys, Timothy and Titus. Those guys loved the pages of Scripture. They, loved the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, is what Acts 2 says. They loved the Word. And they would be, you know, they would, I, I, my heart is for us to tremble at the magnitude of the Word of God and allow it to sanctify us, to change us, to move us, because what the world needs is a church alive, not a church just coming to church. And so one thing that scares me in the church are people that come week after week and listen to sermon after sermon, and they gain this amount of knowledge that is immense. We know so much about Scripture, don't we? I can memorize John 3, 16 in three languages, man. You can't really, so don't test me. But I'm saying, like, we, like we, I, can, I can memorize Scripture. I can say this and this and this. But, and, but don't get moved by Scripture. We have the knowledge, but we're not moved by the knowledge. And what I'm always telling you this is we, we, we're people who claim to know Christ, but people's lives look nothing like Christ. And that hurts me as a pastor as, as we see that I'm not talking about a particular church or a particular person. I'm talking about more of a, a cultural problem in the church, in our country. And what I want to see is that the change and, and you know, knowledge, the knowledge we receive from, from God and knowledge we receive from Bible study and, and, and in the Word and prayer, knowledge without the application of that knowledge is useless. And it's even dangerous because it numbs us. And my heart this morning is that, you know, we would be moved by the presence of God. We would, we would step into the, all that He is and, 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 and give all that we are to see Him come the way He wants to be. And I'm not talking about, like I said, a particular church or a person. I'm talking about a culture thing. Like people, they're slow to serve. I don't see that in Acts 2. They're slow to give. I don't see that in Acts 2. They're slow to make disciples because they're scared to death. And Scripture itself, in 2 Timothy 1, says that God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity. But what's it say? Power, love, 
a sound mind to do the things that he's called us to do in this book. And the point I want to make is it's time for the church to make a decision. It's time for the church to make a decision on what it's going to do to follow the Lord or not. Not to stand in the middle ground anymore. Not to stand on the, on the not to straddle the line anymore. And one of my favorite uh, just books I've read in a, in a while, a few years ago, a guy named Kyle Edelman wrote a book called Not a Fan. You may have read it. I don't know. Um, the, the, it basically breaks down people who call themselves Christians into two categories, a fan or a follower. You know, basically fans of Jesus or followers of Jesus. And you think about a fan, I, I think about myself in this area, like I love the Georgia Bulldogs, right? So during the football season, I, dude, I love Georgia. I know every stat, every player. I know, the, I know what jersey they're going to wear that weekend. I'm like fired up about the Georgia Bulldogs. <sighs> All right, I can't wait for so anyway, so listen, that they, but listen, I may know all that stuff about them, but if I showed up in their locker room, they'd be like, who the heck is this guy? Right? I know a lot about them, but if I walked in their locker room, they'd be like, uh, security, can you get this guy out of here? He's weird, okay? Listen, but a fan of Jesus, in my mind, if you think about that, a fan of Jesus is someone who knows who he is, knows about him, can quote scripture, can quote, uh, they know what jersey to wear on the right Sunday, but they don't know him. A follower of Jesus is someone who is intimately connected to the Father, who knows Jesus, who, who knows what he taught, who, who, who models the way he lived, who looks at Scripture and says, you know what, it's not about me, it's about you, so I need to change my heart in this area so God have your way in my heart and my life. You have access to every part. And he knows the heart of Jesus in every situation as you follow God because the Spirit of God is working in, in you. And one of the most heart-rattling quotes from that book says, fans mistake knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Fans of Jesus mistake knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. I know a lot of scripture. I must be a Christ follower. And guys, let me tell you, if we're comfortable with just being saved in here, our salvation hasn't pushed us into serving or worshiping or giving or going, then there's a problem. There's a disconnect somewhere. And if the truth of your faith is not coming out of your life, then there's a problem. Because what I want to tell you that, that most every single time that fruit is talked about in Scripture, most of the time it's visible to the eye. You can see the fruit in someone's life of someone who's following Christ. You can see it in them. You can see this person's different. 2 Corinthians 5, listen, the old is gone, the new has come. Something new has come into that person and changed their life. And we've gone through this seven-week series of disciple, and we hear a lot about making disciples. I mean, how many times have you heard me, go make a disciple, go make a disciple, go make a disciple? How many times have you heard that? Every week. But I wonder, as I was praying through this message this week, is how is your discipleship going? How is my discipleship? How, how am I being discipled? How am I being led to the Lord? How, how am I getting closer to Jesus on a week-to-week -week basis? How am I following him? And it's one thing for us to say, let's get in the game. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But if you aren't opening yourself up to God, if you aren't opening yourself up to be equipped to go, if you aren't growing and being sharpened, your effectiveness and these things, what's going to happen is you're going to be hindered and your lack of involvement and investment is going to start to show in the fruit that you're producing. And so what I want to tell you is that, you know, that's why I always get so perplexed when I see people or families, or even staff for that matter, who, who try to declutter their lives because they're too busy by cutting from their lives the very thing that God is using to equip them, right? God's trying to use church or connect group or, or serving or giving or going to equip you and to, and to sanctify you. 
But we get busy. Satan makes us busy. We get all this stuff. We say yes to we aren't supposed to. And then all of a sudden, we're like, I got to cut this out. I got to cut this out because I'm too busy. We're talking about family. I need to do this. But we're cutting the things out that God's trying to use to make us into who he's created us to be. And listen, how are you growing in that? Are you investing in the cultures of a healthy church? Are you being challenged? Are you removing yourself from the challenges? Because it feels like a challenge. You know? And so this morning, if you're in this room and you're proclaiming to the world that you're a Christian in this place and your greatest accomplishment in your faith this week or this month is you made time to read the Bible, then there's a problem. This this is not condemning, okay? This is not condemning because I've been there. But I want to encourage you to be what God has called you to be, and it's a lot more powerful than you're settling for. I can tell you that with confidence. And you value, guys, you have to value the kingdom because you have value in the kingdom. God has created you with purpose, great intent, great power and wisdom was put, was made, uh, was, was put into effort in your life as you were being created. But are you settling for less? Because the enemy, we have an enemy just in case you didn't know. We have an enemy. The enemy knows. He knows when you open the pages of Scripture and you start reading it and you start consuming it and you start putting it into practice that when, if, you woke up for, if you woke up in your relationship with God, if you woke up in your life to who you really were, his, his time is limited on your life because he knows that you, have, you were made with a purpose. And I realize, guys, times are hard. It's busy, all this stuff. But, guys, time with the Lord is a non-negotiable in the life of a Christian. Time in Scripture is a non-negotiable when it comes to following Jesus because biblical literacy has gone out the window in today's church. People come to church and, and, and they, they, they just trust the pastor, which that's great. You should trust your pastor. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're, you're taking somebody else's word for it instead of looking, at your, looking into it for yourself. And it's not enough to, to just believe what a person with a title of a pastor says. It's meant to spend time in the word. It should take precedence over everything in your life. That's what John 17 tells. It says that, that, that the Lord was praying. Jesus was praying that God would sanctify us through his truth. And he says your truth is your word. And so he uses the word to sanctify us into who he's called us to be. And it's time for us to move on, like it says in Hebrews, to move on from elementary things of the truth, of the faith. Move on from the elementary things. Let's move on to the deeper things. Let's eat some steak and potatoes, man. Let's get it beyond the milk. I like steak. Let's, let's, get, let's don't get bogged down in the small things, man. Let, these cycles we get stuck in, let's put a stop to it this morning. Because all you have to do is put your foot in the ground and say, that's enough. It's time. That's how easy it is. You're like, that's hard, Michael. No, it's not. We have to remember, and this is hard, like the biggest threat to the church today are fans that call themselves Christians but aren't really interested in following Christ. We have to remember that it is possible for each of us in this room to go to church your entire life without actually following Christ. That's hard to hear, ain't it? It's hard truth. Our heart as a church will always be, always be to consistently and to aggravate the heck out of you even, to give you opportunities for for you to grow, to be involved in connect groups, to get closer to Jesus, to serve so that you can see the heart of Jesus, to give so that you can see the sacrificial gift that you have through salvation, to go, to see the hand, you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to to our community and to the nations. And to remember our heart for you 
is for you to be connected to a growing relationship with Jesus. We have to understand what that means. And so this morning, as we get going here, I want to pray for us. But my heart is that your heart will be softened to the message this morning that we're going to read. That the gospel would come alive in your eyes and in your heart. And, your, and, and, the, and the distance between your head and your heart would shrink this morning. That your heart will be punctured by the, by the beauty of the gospel. Because it's a beautiful thing. So as we pray, let's, uh, let's just think about that. Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, you're so good. You're so good to each of us, God. You love us when we don't deserve it, God. Your grace is unfathomable and it's never-ending. We praise you for that this morning. God, I pray for every soul in this room, God, for every chain that is on every heart, any, any heart in this room that would be broken by the power of Jesus. God, I thank you for what you've done and who you are. I pray that you would come in this place and just, and just blow a mighty wind of freedom through the crowd, God. We love you so much. I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, but I want to give you a quick little fun fact as we continue this series um, called Disciple. Um, I'm not sure if you've read Acts before. I'm not sure if you've dug into Acts very often. Um, I love it. It's a great book. Um, <coughs> the first, um, but a little fun fact is the first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians. You, did anybody know that? Everybody knew that. Okay, okay, good. All right, so look, the, the actual term Christian was actually a derogatory term. The people in Antioch were like, Christians. But why were they calling them Christians? Because these people were following Jesus just like Jesus lived. They, were, they looked just like Jesus. And if you look at the translation of all that stuff, one of the things is a Christian means a little Christ. Little Christ. Look at that little Christ over there, you know? And how, what a, in my mind, that's a great honor. Like, if you call me a little Christ, I'm in. I'm in for that, you know, derogatory or not. But listen, Acts eleven twenty six. 26, you don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says this in the last sentence. It says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. The word called right there is a passive term, is a passive word, which means the Christians weren't the ones calling themselves Christians. So if the first Christians didn't call themselves Christians, what did they call themselves? It's the, it's the title of the, the series, hint, hint. Disciples. They called, they called themselves Disciples. And think about that for a second. You know, the word Christian in the Bible, in the entire Bible, it's only used three times. Three times. Disciple is used 281 times in the Bible. Think about that for a second. You say, well, so what? Well, I'll tell you. Here's what. I believe that in changing the word that we use to describe ourselves, what we've done is we've lost the clarity of the word disciple. We've lost what it means to be a disciple. You know, it, it's what, it, what a disciple really is when it comes to following Jesus has been kind of murky a little bit. That's not a word, but it's okay. But it, it, we kind of use Christian, and it becomes a little more safe. Because a Christian means I believe in Jesus and I go to church, right? A disciple means my life looks just like Christ. I follow him. I'm his student. I'm listening to the word. I'm doing what it says. And what I want to show you that our, our use of Christian today, what it does, it obscures the fact that a lot of people who call themselves Christians are not actually disciples, which is scary. Like we talked about at the beginning a minute ago. A disciple is way more clear when it comes to, to you know, what you would actually become when you enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not a, a decision where, I want to raise my hand and accept Christ this morning. And then you choose, after, the, after you made that decision, you choose whether you want to follow him or not. But that's kind of what the church has done, right? We have a lot of converts. We've baptized a lot of people. But then what happens after that? You know what I mean? We haven't been good at leading them into discipleship. And so this morning, you know, I want you to see that a true disciple lives like a disciple. A false disciple 
who may, who may even identify as a Christian, lives like an imposter. In Acts 11, I'll tell you this, in Acts 11, I don't believe there was much distortion happening. I think it was black or white. This is a Christian, this is not a Christian. This is a disciple, this is not a disciple. Because they saw who Jesus was, he was fallen like Jesus. This person over here, nope, not, not happening. And so this morning as we read, I want you to imagine, as we read Acts 1, I want you to imagine your, yourself, your individual self this morning. If you have to close your eyes, that's fine, just don't fall asleep. I just want you to imagine yourself in the room as Jesus, encounter, as Jesus comes and, and talks to the disciples in Acts 1, in this, in this moment. I want you to think, what, what were they thinking in that moment? What, what were they thinking? What were, what were they thinking when Christ came in that place? What were their plans and their dreams before Christ came? What about now? What's changed in that moment? What has changed in their hearts and their lives? And so as we read that, let's, let's, let's just think about that for a second, okay? Are we good? All right, one person. Good. All right, so... Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to be at this morning, okay? It says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You need to circle began to do in there. Jesus began something that we were meant to finish and to carry out on the earth. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, the, the, he presented himself to them and gave some convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's awesome discipleship right there, buddy. I'll tell you that any day of the week. It's awesome. Whew. After this, uh, I get excited, sorry. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Okay, I already read that. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Very clear instructions. All right, yes, sir. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't get it still. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set for his, authority, his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What a great story, man. What a great story. So many times we read that as like, that's a good story. That's a good storybook, nighttime story. That's a good vinyl board. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, like a, a flannel board. Anybody do flannel boards when they're kids? Okay. All right. But listen, this really happened. This is truth, fact. Think about this for a second. You are the same church that Peter belonged to. You are the same church that Matthew, Mark, and Luke belonged to. You are the same church that Paul belonged to. We are the same church. And this is what he's saying in this moment. He's, he's telling us that he's given us power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And he says we will be his witnesses in these areas, in these places. And what I want you to see is last week I showed you this. is like where are we called to be witnesses? Where are we called to be witnesses at? Well, you look in there, there's some, very, some words in here that we need to make sure we see. And it says this. It says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All those places. It's not just one place, it's all those places. And we, we look past that so many times. And what I find in the church is we look like the men in verse 11. You're standing here looking up in the sky. God, when are you coming back? 
Hallelujah, I'm saved. When are you coming back? We forget about we have work to do on earth right now, right? He's called us to be his witnesses now until he comes back. He's telling us to stay on task until I come back. He's saying, don't look up. Don't look up in the sky and be waiting. Go do the thing, and I'll come interrupt you, and we'll go home. Listen, that's what it's about. We have to listen. We have to follow him as he's called us to follow him. He's saying that I, I, I would love to have been there when that angel came down. I was like, what y'all doing, guys? What's happening? He literally just told y'all to get in the game and let's go. And y'all already standing here looking in the sky like a bunch of crazy people. But listen, that's what we do as a church so many times. We get so focused on worship or we get so focused on the, the lights or we get so focused on the chairs. Or we get so focused on like, I don't know if I can make a disciple because I haven't been a Christian long enough. Or I don't know. I don't think I can give this week. I don't know if I can go serve next week because I need to, I got too much going on. We just get so sidetracked. We need to focus our vision on who Jesus is Focus our vision on the command that he gave us to go to those places and fight through everything to see it happen. And as we read through this scripture, there's some things that I want to point out to you that, that I, I want to make four points that, that, that we're not really going to all relate, but they're, they're truths about this scripture. Number one is the question is, who's, who's called to be a missionary? Who is called to be a missionary in this room? Who, who's called? Okay, I love y'all talking back. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, hey, if you've ever, if you believe in Scripture, does everybody in this room believe that Scripture is true? All right. Okay, I do too. Do you believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that? Okay. Do you believe in what Peter said in Acts 4? He said, salvation is found in no one else. There's, only, there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you believe that? All right, well, if you believe that, if you believe the Scripture, if you believe the words of Jesus, if you trust the message of the gospel, then you are called. You are called to go. Because let me tell you, everyone who's been saved has been sent. Everyone who's been saved has been sent, and there, there's a period behind that. There's, there's a period. There's, everyone who's been saved has been sent. And there's no such thing as a disciple who's not been sent. There, based on Scripture, there's no disciple who has not also been sent. And we're called to go into the world with the message of the gospel and share it with the world. And that should be our greatest goal. Our, our jobs, our families, our life's decisions, our money, our, the, way, the way we do life should all be molded around the mission we've been called to have as believers in Jesus. As disciples, remember I said there's a difference in a Christian and a disciple. Our conversations, our goals, our plans, our dreams have to revolve around that mission. Around that mission. And look at the early church, man. They had seen in Jesus' death a God so beautiful and glorious. He was worth giving away everything they had in their entire life. He was, he was beautiful. A God who was, whose glory deserves to be spread among the nations, they felt. They'd seen God command the oceans. They'd seen God command angels. They'd seen God control demons and cast them out. They'd seen God walk on water. They'd seen God, through Jesus, heal lepers. They'd seen Jesus raise the dead. And yet, in the hour, and this is what makes Jesus so attractive to me, is in the hour that he most needed to access the power that he, he possessed and he portrayed on earth, he turned his back on that power and, gave, and he gave his life as a sacrifice for my sin. That's beautiful, man. And what they said, what the disciples said is like, you're, you're a God, you are a God that should be worshipped in all the world and even in Acts, whenever they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin told them, if you don't shut your mouth, we're going to kill you. What did the disciples say? The disciples said, well, you got, you got to do what you got to do, but I got to be faithful to what I believe in. You know, that's awesome. 
And so here's my question for you this morning in this place. Young and old, man or woman, rich or poor, for better or worse, wherever you want to go. All these things. This is my question for you. Is this, is have you believed, do you believe the testimony that you read in Scripture? Because I tell you, your life is going to tell the answer to that question. Has it captured you until you can't shut up about Jesus? Has it captured your heart? Are you willing to go anywhere Jesus tells you to go? Or is there boundaries that you put around it still that you won't let God control or you won't, you won't let him have or you're willing to go anywhere but here? But if that's you, if, if you have boundaries on where God wants you to go, if, or if you have boundaries on where you're allowing access into your heart and to the world, I have bad news. You're still not a part of the movement. You're still not part of the movement. If we have been captured by this message, we probably don't need a pep talk every weekend. We probably don't need a pep talk every weekend because whenever I experience the Holy Spirit and I read Scripture, my, my heart is, is overwhelmed. My heart is, is, is captured again by what God's done in my life, what He's done in my marriage, what He's done in my, in my world. And it reminds us, it reminds me constantly, get your butt in the game, bro. Look what God's done. All this stuff don't matter. So if you believe the Jesus of the gospel, the message of the gospel, if you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you've been sent as a missionary into the world. And we talked about last week, the only question that we talked about last week is, is the only question is where, when, and how. Is it here? Is it there? Is it across the world? Where is it at? Where has God called you to be? And we have to check our hearts because if we're trying to embrace God's mission without the heart of God, we're going to miss it. Number two. Where are we called to go, man? Acts, Acts 1, where are we called to go? It says, it's, it says we're to be Jesus' representatives into the world. Jesus' representatives. And this verse uses the word witness also. Did y'all notice that? Witness. What is a witness? What is a witness? It means, I looked up the definition because it's nerdy. It says this. Um, it says a person who sees an event take place. Right? The next little section of the definition says an evidence or a proof. And what that basically means is, God's movement in my life is evidence that he exists. It's evidence of the gospel. The last one says this, to have knowledge of from personal observation or experience. If you've experienced the spirit of God moving your life to a point where you've received Christ as your savior, you have a job to go and to spread the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. And based on these definitions, are you a witness? Based on those definitions, are you a witness this morning? Have you allowed yourself to be used by, by the by the Lord of all creation, to use you as a, as a gospel bearer to the kingdom. And once we become a disciple of Christ, where does this verse say we go? Where does it say we go? It gives you a, a few different definitions, but what I want to show you is it's is called all of us who believe to be, spread, be spreaders of the good news of Jesus. Until you experience the good news, though, you'll never be motivated to go. Until you really experience Christ, you'll never be motivated to go. You'll always be okay with sitting on your hands in a church pew. And it's, it's, it's just the truth. Until you experience the good news of the gospel, you'll never be motivated to go to the nations, to make disciples, or even invest in what the body is doing because you won't trust it. Because you think you're still in control. It's an illusion. And that's why these early disciples, they went. They believed it. And full of the Holy Spirit, they went throughout Jerusalem proclaiming the gospel. People went to Judea. People went to Samaria. People went to the ends of the earth disregarding themselves for the gospel because they saw eternity as, as something that, that was real and God was living there. He was active in their lives and the gospel spread throughout the earth fulfilling God's call in Genesis 1.28 and Acts 1.8 to take ground for the gospel, for the kingdom. And I have a visual. Anybody like visuals? 
Okay, I have a visual for you. I want to show you a little video. Um, it's actually a Business Insider video, which is not a, a Christian organization, but I thought it was interesting that it showed as much detail as it showed about the spread of Christianity throughout the world. So let's watch this, and then we'll get back to it. pretty cool. I thought it was awesome, right? It's cool to watch to see how the, how, and what, what I noticed about that is what God's been kind of revealing in my heart lately is what do you notice? The, the Christianity was moving and, and the faith in Jesus was moving throughout the world. And what was it doing? It was taking ground. It was taking ground. And what I learned in Genesis 1:28 is, is he says, be fruitful and multiply and, and basically spread my glory into all the world. That's what he's basically saying. And like, what I love about that is we're image bearers of God. Like we're his image into the world, and we're meant to carry his image to the world. And what I love about that is whenever, whenever God gives that command, and you, you fast forward a few years, Jesus gives the Israelites the promised land. But he doesn't just say, here's the promised land. What does he do? He tells them to go conquer it, to go take it, to go possess it. And so what he does is he goes in and says, take it, possess it, and then transform it. Those three things. And what I love about that, the same command is given to us as the church in Acts 1.8. It's the same thing. He again calls us to take ground for the gospel, for the kingdom. But this time it's spiritually. He put, he put his spirit inside of us, and by going and making disciples, we begin to transform the face of the earth. Right? You see, do you see that? We begin to transform the face of the earth by taking ground for the, for, the, for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And you should literally see that in that video we just watched. It's literally about taking ground for the kingdom. And how does that work for us as a church? Well, glad you asked. In, in verse, uh, verse 8, we looked, it says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And it said, and, and, and. and so what that means is we're called to go to all of those places. Well, how does that look for us? Well, Jerusalem is our city. Jerusalem is, is Savannah. We're meant to reach out into Savannah and to reach the lost for the kingdom of God. We're meant to reach out to Savannah and the surrounding areas to love on people who are hurting, who are, who are, who are, just broken and to help 
help be the hands and feet of Jesus to bind up their broken hearts. Judea. Judea is our, kind of our county, our surrounding area. It's kind of the southeast Georgia kind of thing. Samaria is our state, our region of the country, the southeast United States or whatever. Or, you, or it could be the United States if, if we get crazy, you know. Um, the ends of the earth, where is that? Other countries, unreached people who do not know about Jesus, who've never heard the gospel. And today, I'll tell you right now, statistic, there's 7,000 different people groups who have zero access to the gospel. And a people group is someone, a group of people who have a common language, is what that is. And so there's a lot of people. And what that looks like, no gospel access, is there's no believer around, there's no Christians around to talk to, there's no Bible, there's no Bible study, there's no Christian radio, there's none of that. They, they don't have access, they cannot hear about Jesus. And for me, that doesn't sit well. Does it, does it bother you? It should bother us to know that. That Listen, 7,000 different people groups, that's 4 billion people, if you want a better statistic. 4 billion people, that's 42% of the earth's population right now, that never heard the name of Jesus. And that should really bother us. And I'm going to tell you what, if you're a true disciple in this place this morning, they hit your gut a little bit, because that will bother a true disciple. Because you want me to tell you something even more sickening? How many churches do you think there are in Georgia? Bingo, it's 13,000. 13,000 churches in Georgia. How many do you think there are in the United States? A lot. The last number I heard was over 500,000. So there are enough churches right now in the U.S. to assign 200 churches to every one people group that's been unreached. Think how much influence you could have with 200 churches working together for one people group. You changed the world, bro. I'm telling you, it'd be incredible. Like, what, what are we going to do with that, man? What are we going to do with this information? And my next point is number three is how do we accomplish this mission? How do we accomplish this mission? And Remember last week we said, if you're a follower of Christ in here this morning, if you're a disciple, then there's no longer a question of if you're called, it's only when and where and how. How am I going to get there? And use, you know, use where God has placed you right now to have a starting point, to be faithful where you are until he moves you. If there's people around you at work, at your job, share Jesus with them, man. Until, be faithful where you are until Jesus moves you. Be obedient to his word. Be obedient to what he's called you to do, his will, his way, and do that. And continue to die to self because your self, your own self-righteousness, your own self-just uh, worth and trying to please yourself is, going to, is what's going to get in the way. But as soon as we begin to live our lives in self-exaltation, ex exalting self, is the day we step out of the mission field. And that's what happens. And my question for you today is like, you know, how can you evaluate that? Well, go back to where we talk about all the time. You know, where's your best of your, where's your first and your best of your time, your treasure, and your talent? Where's it going? Is it to build the kingdom? Is it to honor him, to reflect his glory to the world? Or is it, is it used to squander? Is it squandered kind of like the rich young ruler whenever he came to Jesus and said, I've done all these things. What do I need to do now? Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. And he walked away sad because he was very rich. And it's hard Follow Christ if you're rich, because it says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, and that's a whole other analogy we can look at later because that's deep. If we promise, if we prioritize, I promise you this, I promise you this, if we prioritize the mission of God over our comfort, we'll see the mission accomplished. We will. If we, if we prioritize it over our comfort, we'll see it accomplished because there won't be anything to tempt us to go away from it. And as a church, we're praying for God to raise up people in this room. You guys who are sitting in these chairs, our prayers as staff, our prayers in a prayer team is to see people in this room raised up to go, to go out of here. I'm praying you out of this church. I want you to leave and go, go reach the nations for the gospel. 
I want you to be raised up and sent out to go see what God's called you to do because we believe with all our heart we don't accomplish the mission of God by gathering all the most talented people in the church in one place. That's dumb. We're meant to send them out into the world to go see, to go see go to Jerusalem, Judea, the Samarias, and the ends of the earth. J.D. Greer wrote a book, I love it, it's called Gaining by Losing. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here is what we want to do. Because what I'll tell you is this, is that God has given our church a vision to reach people with the gospel across the globe starting in Savannah. Starting in Savannah. And we believe he's calling us to partner with people in our Jerusalem, which is Savannah, Garden City, Pooler, Rinkin, whatever, to, to, to start and to see these sustainable ministries supported and started to, that are relevant, that are relevant and that are hard. But we believe that people are called to do those things because there's people in this town that are lost. And if it's okay for you to sit bodily by whenever you know there's people lost and dying without Jesus, then there's a disconnect between you and Jesus. Because if anybody who is saved is also a lover of Jesus and also is a lover of people. And I, the next thing, I believe God has given us a vision to reach out into our Judea and our Samaria and to begin strategically pray for different cities or states where God wants us to plant churches, to see him made famous in those cities like he's being made famous in this one. That's our heart. We believe with all our heart there's people in this place right now this morning, this morning, that God has called to be pastors, to be elders, to be church planters, to go, to leave, to go see the kingdom come in all the areas that the Acts 1 says that might mean you and your family picks up and moves to another city to join a church planting team of our, from our church or another church that we partner with to see the culture created and the kingdom built. We believe, the third thing, we believe God has, has given us a vision to exhaust every ounce of our energy, our income, and our time that we have to reach the unpe unreached peoples of the earth. We have to. We believe with all our heart that God has called very specific people in this room, in this place, to go be missionaries in places on the globe that are not yet reached for the gospel. And that's hard. And that's not popular. But he's calling us to go. And we believe God has strategically placed people in our church to be prayers, to be senders, and to be goers. We believe that God has strategically placed opportunities for us to go to those places like Haiti, like Panama, like Kenya, India, and potentially another unreached location to be gospel bearers and image bearers of the kingdom. And those, those countries and areas were named because those are places that we're actively pursuing places to go. We have contacts in right now that we're looking at seeing ourselves be effective in those areas. These are missions opportunities for us to investigate calling, to test the waters of missions and, and where we're going as a church. And this may look like us sending missionaries or, that are already in country, or this may look like us sending you that are sitting in these seats this morning to be missionaries to the unreached. And this is where our giving goes. This is where our tithes, our offering goes to see ministries that God has called us to to thrive, not to just get by. We want to see them thrive because we believe God's given us his best and we want to give him our first and our best of everything we do because we don't want to waste one cent on what God blesses us with to see the kingdom come on earth like he's commanded us to do in scripture. If you aren't called to foreign missions, guess what? You're called locally. You're called to your home to be the pastor of your home, men. You're called to be, you're called to be a missionary in your workplace, in the places that you go to Walmart and get on the aisles. There's a person, hey, guess what? The Holy Spirit might be leading you to talk to them. Don't just walk by. Love on people as God loves you. Every disciple is called to go. It's just when, where, and how. The very last thing is the mission of God is worth it. 
the mission is worth it. In Matthew 6, tell, Jesus tells us that if we seek the kingdom of God first above everything else, then everything else will be provided for us. Everything else will be provided for us. And what, what the church has done is it's gone back to the Levitical law and we've shrunk back to just coming to church and it, we acted as if the pastor is the priest. But God called you out. He's called you out as a priesthood of believers. He's called you out as a royal priesthood to the nations because he's put his spirit in every single one of you, not just me. Thank God. You know, he's put his spirit in all of us to be doers and goers and givers. Guys, the mission of God matters because every person on the face of the earth matters to God. And you cannot fall in love with a God. You cannot fall in love with Jesus and not love people and not care about people and not care about God's plan for people. And there's a myth among Christians today when it comes to calling. Calling. Many of us sit around waiting on some calling before we really start leveraging our lives for the mission of God. And I can tell you right now, if you've read any page of Scripture, you know that you've been called. Matthew 28 is a verse to go to right now. <coughs> I don't think it, it don't, it don't separate. The Great Commission was not a, a special calling for, for an elite few, but a mandate for every believer to follow. The, the Bible says one day, that we will see the fruits of Genesis 1. We will see the fruits of Acts 1 as every nation, every tribe, and every tongue we will worship before the throne of God. I'm excited about that, y'all. I can't wait. Acts, or Revelation chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there. It's your call. It says this, verse 9. John said, after, after this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How awesome is that, man? That is awesome. I love it, man. That is what we're living for as Christians. If you're not, you're missing it. You are. It's time to step up to the plate, guys. If that's not what you're seeing. And another cool thing, did you know that you're in the Bible if you're a Christian? You're, like, you're, you're right there in that crowd. It was a vision. Like, you're in the Bible. It's awesome. I thought about this week. It's awesome. So the mission to go, guys, is worth it because you know what? Jesus is worth it. The, the love he poured out on the cross proves that he's worth it. He made the first move. Jesus, get, he stepped up. He made the first move. In, in, in our direction. He made the first move. And my question today, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you heard the information, you've heard the gospel message, what are you going to do with that? Where are you at today? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you, have you had a relationship with him? Or have you been comfortable with coming to church and just saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I've got my fire insurance. Well, the scripture's telling us that that's not necessarily true. Disciple is what our hearts should be seeking to be. And so this morning, if you've never experienced the love of Jesus, because I'm going to tell you what, Romans 5 eight says that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. That's what love is. There's no greater love than that. Because he paid a debt that, that you owed. He took, he took it for us. If you've never walked into a relationship with Jesus where you said, God, I need you. I, I've been playing games. Father, I've, I've, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I need you 
to step in my place, God. I trust you, God. Trust what you've done. If you've never done that this morning, you want to pray with somebody. And you just want to, you just want to hear more about this. I just want you to be bold and either raise your hand and let us know about it so we can pray with you. Or there's people on the side here that would love to pray with you while we're worshiping in a second. And so that's, is that anybody here this morning? Have you never walked into a relationship with Jesus? You need that this morning. You know that you need that this morning. Is that you this morning? Anybody? Okay. Well, if not, there's people here that would love to pray with you and talk with you. Um, after, after that, guys, we're going to sing some songs together. Feel free. This altar is always open. This altar is always free. This altar is always safe. And there's people that would love to pray into your life. And there, this is where you lay some stuff down before God as you're trying to um, move closer to Him. And so let me pray for us, and then we will jump into some worship. Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the cross, Father. I thank you for the call to go. I thank you for the call to go to the nations, Father. I pray this morning for, for fresh wind, fresh fire, God, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in this place. God, that you would continue to call us into places that you want us to be. God, I pray for the person this morning that may be far from you. God, the person who may be running from you, the person who may be building up idols to you against you, Father, who may be stuck in addiction or our marriage problems, God, our financial problems, God, they would lay themselves at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're enough. God, I pray for freedom in this house this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.